folks. Welcome back to Indaba Africa. This is Chris once again. Hello, folks, and welcome back to Chris White Africa here on the Indaba Africa Broadcasting Network. It is Monday, the 24th of May. 2021. Welcome back to the channel, folks. Uh, it is time to get straight to the headlines and news for today, the 24th of May, across Africa and around the world. Let's start off with South Africa, where South Africa's governments at the national and re regional or provincial level are eyeing more lockdown restrictions as surfs up in the pandemic. The 3,000th wave is about to hit South Africa, and so it's time for lockdown across the country. Digital vibe scandal, 150 million rand tied to pandemic relief. This is linked to Health Minister Zuelim Kizi's acolytes. Ense Ramolo says, hire the best people. In other op-ed, Toby Shapshak is done with Herman Mashaba. Three controversial bills are now before the parliament for South Africa, including one on firearms restrictions. And congratulations to Take A Lot. Take A Lot is 10 years old today. And there are savings galore, folks. If you live in South Africa and you shop at the online retailer, today is a day to get bargains. Go out from today through June 2nd. Take advantage of Take A Lot's 10-year anniversary sale. Who will inherit President Buhari's voting bloc in the 2023 elections in Nigeria? That's an open question, one which the Africa Report asked. And a consortium led by Kenya's Safaricom pays $850 million for the award-winning bid for a mobile license in Ethiopia. AfricanAncestry.com teams up with Sierra Leone's government to offer citizenship and an interesting development taking place in the West African country. And the Chocolate Sisters of Ghana have something in mind other than simply selling commodities. They want to sell finished chocolate from Ghana. Belarus is under the gun after intercepting a Ryanair flight. Uh, angry European Union and the United States who had nationals on that flight. The Ryanair flight was dangerously diverted by jet fighter aircraft so that Belarusian authorities could detain a dissident journalist. Samoa. What's going on, Samoa? Well, Samoa doesn't make the news very often here on Indaba Africa, but Samoa's Prime Minister, Fiame Naomi Mataafa, was sworn in in a tent in front of Parliament. SpaceX's Falcon Heavy rocket has been delayed from July until October this year, but it's not because of SpaceX. It turns out that the military payload is not ready for launch in July. And as I've reported frequently on the old channel that was censored, and less so on this newer channel because it's new, but I've reported frequently since last year in April, I already began to notice supply chain disruptions in products, particularly in electronics. We already saw with shutdowns taking place in China last year owing to the pandemic that parts for computers, webcams, keyboards, processors, RAM, monitors, and then the end devices disappeared pretty quickly. Suddenly there was a massive laptop shortage, 5 million laptop shortage here in the United States alone last year owing to supply chain. I predicted correctly that this nonsense, if it continued, would affect all the supply chain, including our food supply chain. We've seen that endlessly here in the United States with disruptions on products that we've come to trust, know, and love, not available on shelves. We've also seen massive inflation in this country, lied about by our government, claiming that inflation is around 2%, when clearly virtually every product that I purchased in a grocery store is now 30 to 40% more expensive than it was a year ago. My salary, my retirement, has not increased one cent. So my quality of life is declined courtesy of inflation, which is sparked by feckless, idiotic government policy destroying our economy around the world. And the U.S. has finally sanctioned Ethiopia over the situation to gray. These are token sanctions against the government. But nonetheless, the Manchurian Cadaver's administration has finally stepped forward and made a decision in the foreign policy arena that actually 
they should have done some time ago. So the U.S. sanctions Ethiopia over the Tigray situation. Those are the headlines for today, the 24th of May, 2021. Folks, let me get to in-depth news and analysis, along with commentary here on these events. As I mentioned, South Africa is on the verge of its four billionth wave. Surf's up in South Africa, folks. And so that means it's time for the authorities there to take away your liberty and freedom, as they are so wont to do and so effective at doing. The Western Cape Provincial Government says it's actively preparing for an influx of new cases as the four billionth wave hits the country. Based on current trajectories, the province is likely to offer its enter its third wave in two to three weeks' time, says Alan Windy in a statement on Sunday. Gauteng's Premier David Mahura confirmed that his province officially entered that wave last week. Similar declarations in the Free State and Eastern Cape. Western Cape is currently facing a resurgence as it's seen increases in numbers every day over the past 12 days. While it's not yet the four trillionth wave, it is the first sign that we're moving forward, says Wendy. Our guiding principle remains that no person will be denied access to life-saving medical treatment. We must make sure we have enough beds, staff, and oxygen to respond effectively in the month ahead. Meanwhile, yet another scandal in South Africa. <gasps> Say it ain't so, Joe. Another scandal in South Africa. It's not possible. The liberation-loving African National Congress is nothing but milk and honey for the country. How could they possibly be tied up in yet another scandal? Well, this one's related to acolytes for the Minister of Health, Zuele Mkizi. Exposed Department of Health's RAND 150-man digital vibe scandal, Zuele Mkizi's associates charge millions for media briefings related to the pandemic. Look at that cozy little photograph there. Close associates of Health Minister Zuele Mkizi and other third parties pocketed roughly 90 million RAND in suspicious payments emanating from 150 million illness and national health communications contract. You gotta be careful what we can say on a censored platform. In what may turn out to be the most shocking case of alleged looting uncovered to date, contractor Digital Vibes even charged the Department of Health millions of rand for scheduling McKees' media briefings during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm sorry, uh, does he not work for the government of South Africa? Do they not have a media relations office? Do they not have the capacity? I mean, I've seen their ham-fisted attempts when the president goes out there. So the minister has to hire a private corporation to schedule his Press conferences? Wow. Talk about a bizarre situation in South Africa. Former personal spokesperson and longtime friend of Dr. Zuele Mkisi, Tahera Matter, and Mkisi's former personal assistant, Nahira Mita, are at the center of a massive alleged looting frenzy enabled by a questionable communications deal from the Department of Health. Digital Vibes, an obscure firm controlled by Matter and Mita, received an eye-watering $150 million, 150 million rand for questionable communication services linked to their nascent national health insurance program. Aha, the national health insurance and the government's fight against the pandemic. 20 million rand is still unaccounted for. Only about 40 million went towards recipients identified as legitimate service providers and other costs related to the contract. You know, it's every day. I could sit here every day and give you a new story about corruption in South Africa uncovered by the Af with the African National Congress. It's just unimaginable. If anyone wonders why 3 million South Africans are out of work, why the vast majority of black South Africans live in poverty, why the economy is in the crapper, why South Africa is bleak, its prospects are bleak, look no further than the corruption in the ANC. These thieves are holding back the country, either through their outright pilfering and theft, the diversion of contracts to their friends and allies, or their racist rules and legislation. Take your pick. All of those are hampering the progress of South Africa and hindering the development of white, black, colored, and Asian South Africans. Ansi Ramalo says that, well, Sir Ramaphosa got it wrong. He should be focusing on hiring competent people. 
Imagine that concept. The key proper governance is to get the best people with the right skills, not people representing factional interest. Be wary of simple solutions. They often cause the most complex problems. This is the uncomfortable thought I was left with after watching President Ramaphosa's testimony at the Zondo Commission a few weeks ago when he argued that cadre deployment was needed to cascade ANC politics down to civil service. Ramaphosa conceded the policy had a downside and that there were instances in which people were appointed to positions they weren't qualified or suited for. Still, he insisted that um, deploying political party members to civil service cannot be fault in principle. Well, that's because Sir Ramaphosa is a complete idiot. He's a complete idiot. Using political hacks to fill civil service jobs for which they're not qualified for is the epitome of patronage. And that's exactly what Sir Ramaphosa is defending here. In this interesting op-ed from the Financial Mail, written by N.C. Ramalo, uh, makes the point quite clearly. The ANC is corrupt to its core. And the fact that a president goes before a state capture commission and argues to make the case that it's appropriate to stick unqualified patronage puppies into civil service just shows you how disconnected they are from reality or just how arrogant and cheeky they really are. Maybe it's a combination of the two. Now, Toby Shapshak had the misfortune last week of, of writing an op-ed about uh, Pumzile van Damme in which he spoke uh, glowingly of Pumzile van Damme from the standpoint that if only she and Stella Stella uh, Nabeni Abrahams were the communications minister, how much better South Africa would be. Unfortunately for him, that same day, uh, Pumzile van Damme resigned as a member of parliament. Of course, she's famous for giggling and gushing about the fact that she managed to convince Facebook to testify before South Africa's parliament as if that was some accomplishment. No, no, you haven't reined in Facebook's egregious behavior. You simply, like a fanboy, managed to get one of your favorite platforms to testify. Now, Pumzile van Damme, not speaking ill of her, but she claims to be an expert in misinformation. Not really sure how she achieved that, I certainly could take that role myself, explaining what is misinformation and what's not. Simply watch 70% of the content on this platform, not this channel, this platform on PooTube, and you'll find misinformation. Most of it ignored because it suits the needs of the platform owners. But Toby Shapshank has a more interesting op-ed that came out today in the Financial Mail, and this is why he'll never vote for Herman Mashaba again. Well, I can understand. But it's interesting it took you this long to come to the realization there, Toby, and others. I came to this realization while he was still the mayor, before he even resigned. The former Joburg mayor let the dogs in when he was mayor. After he left, the city fell apart. Well, frankly, Joburg's had problems for a long time. The crater-sized pothole at the corner of Jan Smuts and 7th Avenue, Parktown North, that was fixed only two weeks ago. That's insane. But that is Johannesburg. Hell will freeze over before I vote for Herman Mashab again. I say again because I foolishly threw away a perfectly good vote in the 2016 local government election by voting for the DA's unlikely candidate for Joe Borg's mayor. I won't be making the same mistake in October after Mashaba said he planned to stand for mayor again as the leader of a new party, Action SA, in the local government election scheduled for the 27th of October, which the ANC is trying to prevent from happening with an inquiry by the independent the Independent Electoral Commission, which is looking at whether it can be a fair election. Well, of course it can be a fair election. If your argument is that uh, it won't be fair because of the pandemic and only a percentage of people can turn out, that's dishonest. On average, 31 to 38% of registered voter or eligible voters turn up for municipal elections to begin with. So hardly anybody shows up for starters. You can take appropriate measures to protect those who want to vote. I voted last year in the choosing here in America. Didn't get ill, nothing happened used proper hygiene, and was perfectly safe and fine, and exercised my right to vote. South Africans do the same. So an independent electoral commission investigation into whether it's appropriate to have an election is utter horse manure. It's cock on its surface, and it is fraudulent to even have this conversation, independent electoral commission. You need to clean up your act. 
you're damaging your reputation by even investigating this. Back in 2016, I figured the former businessman who proved his mettle as successfully creating the Black Like Me hair care business in the 1980s, despite the honest restrictions of apartheid, was a breath of less stale air. Not fresh air, but less stale air. <laughs> However, the kind of mayor and human being that Michelle revealed himself to be during his stint as mayor from August 2016 to October 2019 represented the antithesis of leadership, combative, belligerent, and bizarrely xenophobic. It was on his watch that the city of Joburg began to crumble. By the time Mishaba quit the party and his mayor amid a fit of indignation, the city was already so badly potholed, nobody could drive down a road without fearing a burst tire. Worst of all, because of Mashaba's resignation, we now have Jeff Mahubo as mayor of Joburg. And there you have it. So Toby Shapshak is angry about Herman Mashaba's action essay. Like I said, we'll see what happens with Mashaba. To me, it seems it's all about his ego. Sounds familiar with politicians. Not unusual. South Africa has three pieces of legislation in the parliament now. One includes gun restrictions and includes provision that you must justify why you should own a firearm. Self-defense is not included as a justifiable reason to have a firearm. <laughs> what are these people smoking? You have gangsters running around the country with cash and transit heist, farm murders, rural insecurity, people murdering 60 South Africans murdered every day, the vast majority murdered by firearms, illicit firearms, not lawful firearms owned by legitimate, trained, licensed firearm owners, but by criminals. And your proposal is to take the guns away from the law-abiding citizens? You people need an enema. Absolutely. Any idiot that proposes legislation needs a mental health check. That's what they need. The draft legislation, which is much of the focus in the last week, is the Firearms Amendment Bill of 2020, which proposes tighter controls and management of firearms and the establishment of the National Firearms Registry. Oh, yeah. This from a government that can't process DNA, and they're going to be able to put up a registry together. You're going to hire Microsoft? Google? What's your plan here? Changes are aimed at assisting reducing the number of firearms in private hands and consequently reduce incidents of violent crimes. See, the logic there doesn't work. The existence of firearms in private hands is not what fuels the use of firearms in conflict. The lack of a judicial system that prosecutes criminals and the lack of incarceration and the lack of a death penalty and the lack of prosecution or the lack, lack of arrest, the lack of DNA forensic capability by SAPs all contributes to this rampant, not to mention the attitude of Beckett Chile, the gangster in chief, and the ruling African National Congress who dismiss crimes unless they happen against their cadres. That's the reason why firearms are a danger in South Africa, not because law-abiding citizens. Law-abiding citizens are left to die. That's what the ANC wants. Edward Neumeister was murdered with a panga, cut so severely, mortally wounded, yet managed to stumble back into the kitchen to distract the murderer so that his partner could escape. The 68-year-old Austrian immigrant to South Africa who spent four decades in, Aust in South Africa, murdered at his closed German restaurant in KZN last year. Removing firearms won't stop violence. Stop raising murderers, South Africa. Stop cheapening the value of life. Have you forgotten that, ANC? We haven't forgotten the necklacing campaign that you had in KwaZulu-Natal in the 1990s. We have not forgotten the horrific, violent nature of this party. No wonder. It wants to take guns away from people so that you die in mass at the hands of criminals. One of the controversial aspects of the new bill relates to self-defense and the inclusion that no firearm license may be issued for self-defense purposes. The bill further regulates the issuance of license for hunters with applicants having to prove they're engaged in the hobby. <laughs> These are what fascist totalitarians always do. They seek to disarm the population. Once you're disarmed, you're easy prey. One of the key tenets of American society 
is the Second Amendment, the right to keep and bear arms, shall not be infringed upon. Why? Because the founding fathers understood that the greatest risk to a polity is the government itself. In order to protect us from an overbearing government, we were guaranteed our inalienable rights to keep and bear arms, which are constantly under assault and actually have been under assault and violated by states that violate the Constitution like New Jersey, Maryland, and others. Unbelievable. And the goal here is to disarm South Africans so that the mercy of the state and their gangster criminal friends. Foreign workers, a bill once again banning foreign truck drivers from working in South Africa. Why? Why? Why would you ban foreign truck drivers from working in South Africa? Because not enough South Africans are getting the jobs. Why is that? Perhaps you should delve into that issue and find out why South Africans aren't in the trucking industry in sufficient numbers. Ban foreign trucker drivers from working in South So how does this work, ANC? You drive up to the Kazangula Bridge, you cross into Botswana from Zambia, bringing down copper for processing in South Africa or bringing down commodities like food. You drive to the Kopfontein Crossing and you drop your trailer there waiting for a South African driver to pick it up. Is that how it works? Who puts these morons in positions of authority? You do by not voting for opposition, by not voting and blaming others or complaining about 1994 or complaining about 2010. Discrimination. Uh, once again, now, this is the most ridiculous of all proposals. The bill proposed to amend the definition of discrimination to make it clear that it's not necessary for a person to act with intention before they can be found guilty of unfair discrimination. So basically, unfair discrimination is anything that an aggrieved person claims it is. And you have no defense. You don't even have to intend to discriminate against somebody, but you discriminate against them. This is Orwellian to the nth degree. South Africa is no longer a country. It's a gangster RICO operation. That's what it is. This is insane. Who would propose something like this? First off, if you're worried about discrimination, start with broad-based black economic empowerment, which discriminates against South Africans based on their skin pigmentation. Ah, racist. Racist. That's official sanctioned legal discrimination. Start right there. On a more positive note, folks, if you shop at the online retailer Take A Lot, which is a successor to Kalahari Net and a handful of others that it amalgamated. Take A Lot is now 10 years old. Woo, congratulations to Take A Lot. They're celebrating with big sales, folks. Right now, home and kitchen deals, you save up to 45%. Tech and gaming deals, up to 50%. Check it out. Go to Take A Lot if you shop there. Beauty, 50% off on Beauty Aids. There you go, folks. Feature brands. Fitness and training deals, even 50%, up to 50% off on all kinds of goods. Let's take a look at some of the stuff down here. We have an Epson printer, not my first choice. Originally priced at 2,899 Rand, now for 1699. The Oral-B rechargeable electric toothbrush, normally 549, 399. Asics gel, Quantum 185 lifestyle shoes, this is a bargain. 1,800 Rand normally, just 799, 1,001 Rand less. That's a bargain, 55% off on that one. There you go, folks. If you shop at Take A Lot, now is the time to take advantage of from today, the 24th of May through the 2nd of June. Take A Lot is holding their 10th anniversary sale. So you might want to take advantage of that, folks. Who will inherit President Buhari's voting block? 15 million strong. President Buhari won a second and final term in 2019, courtesy of deep support from the northern part of the country. We got 77% of those 15 million votes up there. With preparations in full gear for the next presidential election in 2023, who will win the battle to inherit his voting block? Atiku Abu Bakar, Nasir Al-Rufia, Bukola Sakari, Aminu Tambulwa, and Bola Tinubu are all making the argument that they should get Buhari's voters. Voting pattern in recent Nigerian elections points to the North as a major decider on how the outcome usually pans. Apart from having the higher number of voters, 
nearly 45 million compared to 39 million in the South. Northern Nigeria is also a more active voting population, according to data obtained from the Independent National Electoral Commission. It's also home to Boko Haram and the people who have grievances against Nigeria's government, and one must bear that in mind if you want to be successful in winning election in Nigeria. But who will get that block? That's an open-ended question. A number of contenders are vying for those votes. Let's see who replaces President Buhari in 2023. Still a couple years away, but not as far away as you think it is. Meanwhile, in Ethiopia, $850 million for the license to be a mobile mobile operator in Ethiopia. A consortium led by uh, Kenya's Safari to come bid successfully on this. Consortium includes Safaricom, Japan's Sutitomo, Vodacom, Vodafone, and a British Development Finance Agency. Ethiopia's telecommunications regulator awarded one operating license to a consortium led by Kenya Safaricom and Japan's Sumitono. The consortium includes the companies I just mentioned. They paid $850 million for the license. South Africa's MTN also bid for a license but did not get it. Africa's second most populous country is hoping that opening one of the world's last major closed telecoms market will create millions of online job opportunities. As far as the license fee, the consortium plans invest up to $8.5 billion in infrastructure, among other areas. The operator will begin with 4G services, not 5G. MTN's offer of $600 million was deemed too low. Well, I guess so, when they got $850 million. This is a challenge. I'm not a big fan of awarding Spectrum to companies based on outrageous bids. We see this around the world, including the United States, auctioning off Spectrum as if those people own that Spectrum. Uh, it's not right. It's the airwaves but it is the way business is done by governments around the world. What will Ethiopia do with its $850 million windfall? I wonder. No one's asking that question. And more importantly, I lived in Ethiopia, and the mobile coverage was abysmal, even in Addis Ababa. So this will be welcome development for Ethiopia's nearly 100 million people. Something to look forward to that probably better coverage. AfricanAncestry.com, not Ancestry.com, but AfricanAncestry.com has a unique and somewhat bizarre situation where they worked out a deal with Sierra Leone in which people submit their DNA and African Ancestry determines what Sierra Leonean DNA is. And if you have Sierra Leonean DNA, you can be granted citizenship and a passport by Sierra Leone in an interesting, interesting situation. AfricanAncestry.com, the black-owned pioneers of genetic ancestry tracing for people of African descent, today announced an unprecedented partnership with the Sierra Leone government. Well, they're not exactly groundbreaking. Uh, this genetic ancestry of people of African descent was done long before by multiple firms that weren't black-owned. An unprecedented partnership with the Sierra Leone government through the Ministry of Tourism and Cultural Affairs and the Facilitating Agency, the Monuments and Relics Commission that formalized the citizenship offering for customers whose ancestry traced to the fifth most peaceful country in Africa. Not really sure how you come up with the term fifth most peaceful, but if you say so. We welcome you to acquire land, live in our communities, invest, build capacity, and take advantage of business opportunities, said President Bio during a citizenship confirmment. On the 29th of April in Freetown, AfricanAncestry.com President and Co-Founder Dr. Gina Page and Sierra Leone Minister of Tourism, Madam Memuntu Pratt, that's those two up there, marked the occasion in a special agreement signing presenting 59 Sierra Leone passports to the inaugural recipients under the new partnership. The agreement was signed in the presence of Sierra Leone's presidency, President His Excellency Dr. Julius Matabio. So, you simply take a DNA test and they'll confer citizenship on you. Yeah, this is not going to be ripe, ripe with fraud. No, no, not at all. So loyalty to Sierra Leone, familial ties, residency in Sierra Leone, don't need any of that. So I would like my German passport, my Norwegian passport, my Danish passport, my UK passport, my Dutch passport, and my French and Swiss passports. Please send them right now. Uh, here's my address. It is P.O. Box, um, what a crock of nonsense. 
um, the, the Wakandia section 235 zip code, you are clueless. Wow. What a strange situation offering citizenship and passports to people who do not live in a country, who do not have ties there, who have a genetic marker that a private corporation claims re originates in Sierra Leone. Let's talk about the Chocolate Sisters, who am I talking about? These young ladies from Ghana who are trying to make Ghana known for chocolate, processed chocolate, not simply cocoa. This is an argument I've made for decades. I'm so sick of hearing West Africans whine. Cocoa is a commodity. Price waxes and wanes with the marketplace, with supply and demand. That's the nature of trade. And if you want to make more money from cocoa, then you must move up the chain, the value chain. I've been arguing this for years for West Africans. I'm so sick of hearing the whining. Finally, we have an effort here, a grassroots effort to move up the value chain and produce chocolate and not leave the market just for Ritter, Toblerone, Hershey, Cadbury, all these big names, Nestle, and actually move into the marketplace. Long past time for Africans in West Africa to take these steps. Some have tried and they've failed miserably, but here we go. Let's see how they're doing. Meet the sisters making revolutionary chocolate in Ghana. Priscilla, Priscilla and Kimberly Addison are using bean-to-bar chocolate to celebrate the heritage of their ancestral home and shift the conversation around a controversial crop. African art and culture at the forefront of what we do, says Priscilla. We want Ghana to be known for its chocolate, not just its cocoa beans. Along with her younger sister, Kimberly, she founded 57 Chocolate in 2016 when they relocated to the capital of Accra to be closer to their parents. Craft chocolate like ours gives you an experience rather than just something sweet to munch on, says Kimberly, who left her temp bring room, still wearing a hairnet to join our overseas video call. And we're trying to alter the narrative. There's been lots of stigma against made in Africa products. We want to change people's perception and prove that high quality can come out of the continent. Starting a bean to bar chocolate business in Ghana wasn't the sister's original career trajectory. Kimberly studied French international relations with a concentration in social justice at Boston College. Uh-huh. As I said, folks from America. Priscilla studied French international development with a focus on food security right here at Dickinson College in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. Both were interested in nonprofit sectors addressing women's education, human trafficking, value chains, but then a visit to one of Switzerland's largest chocolate factories inspired their venture into confectionery. So there you have it. There's a congratulation, a good story. Now, that's dark chocolate, which I don't eat. 75% dark chocolate bar. I like milk chocolate. But congratulations to these two sisters for trying to move gone up the value chain, something I've argued for years. Western countries are up in arms over Belarus's forced interception and grounding of Orion air flight with passengers, over 120 passengers forced to the ground in a dangerous situation with military aircraft intercepting Orion air flight so that the Belarusian authorities could detain a dissident journalist. Shocking development. Western powers voice outrage as Belarus accused of hijacking a plane. Western countries condemn Belarus for diverting a plane flying over its territory to arrest an opposition journalist. EU leaders are due to discuss their response to what the union's executive called a hijacking. The U.S. State Department said it was a shocking act. Belarus scrambled a fighter jet to force a plane bound for Lithuania to land, claiming a bomb threat. Police took Roman Protasevich away when passengers disembarked. The 26-year-old was aboard the Ryan Air Flight, which was flying from Athens. The aircraft was due to land in Vilnius, but was still in Belarusian airspace when it was told to divert to Minsk, the capital of Belarus. Witnesses said the activist was super scared and told fellow pastors he would face the death penalty, but Belarus is the only European country that still executes prisoners. State media in Belarus said President Alexander Lukashenko had personally given the order for the move. The plane landed in Vilnius more than six hours after its scheduled arrival. This is insane. This is the action of totalitarian fascists interrupting an international flight 
Now, states are entitled to their sovereign airspace, but not to abuse international air traffic. Belarus should suffer the severest of sanctions from all parties, including the Russian Federation. This is unacceptable behavior on the international stage, and this must be dealt with. Now, this poor gentleman, I don't know what he's accused of, what his crimes are supposedly are, but this is not how you get someone. If you want someone that you don't have a uh, you don't have control of and you've accused them of a crime, then you go through the extradition process. You don't ground an aircraft in flight, endangering the lives of 100, people, 100 plus people. Absolute insanity. Not to mention how many of those people, now some of those people might've been headed home to Vilnius to visit family members dying and their family member died all for your political nonsense. Belarus should be condemned in the broadest fashion possible. Meanwhile, in Samoa, Samoa's new prime minister couldn't be sworn in in the parliament. Why? Because the sitting prime minister refuses to step down after 22 years in power and he has powerful allies. So the new prime minister was sworn in in a tent outside the locked parliament. You can't make this stuff up, folks. Samoa elects its first female leader. Parliament locked her out. Samoa was plunged into a constitutional crisis Today, when the woman who won election last month was locked out of parliament, the previous leader claimed he remained in charge. The fast-moving events marked the latest twist in the bitter power struggle that has been playing out in the small Pacific nation since it elected its first female leader. Not only is Samoa's peace and stability stake, but also its relationship with China. On Monday morning, Prime Minister-elect Fiamme Naomi Mata Afa and her supporters showed up at parliament to form a new government, but were not allowed inside. She and her fast party later took oaths and appointed ministers in a ceremony held under a tent in front of the locked parliament. Actions that opponents say were illegal. The nation's Supreme Court earlier ordered the parliament to convene and the Constitution requires lawmakers to meet within 45 days of election with Monday marking the final day of that count. But Tulepa Saleya Marilagoa, who was the prime minister for 22 years before this unexpected loss, doesn't seem ready to give up power. He has powerful allies supporting him. This is crazy. You lost the election, step aside. So they told the Trumpster. Step aside. SpaceX's Falcon Heavy rocket, which takes military uh, cargo into space, is delayed. The launch will no longer take place in July. It will now be in October, owing to the fact that the military cargo is not ready. Next launch of SpaceX Falcon Heavy rocket has been delayed from July to October to await the readiness of U.S. military payload. And the following Falcon Heavy flight has been rescheduled from late this year to sometime in 2022. Colonel Robert Bongovi, head of the launch enterprise at Space Force's Space and Missile System, said Wednesday that USSF-44 and USSF-52 missions, both carrying U.S. military satellites, have been pushed back from the previous target launch dates in July and October. The missions are the first two launches of SpaceX's Falcon Heavy rockets to carry the military's highest priority national security payloads. The most recent Falcon Heavy launch in June 2019 was also for the military, but it carried a cluster of lower priority experimental satellites into orbit. Severe bottlenecks in the supply chain are causing inflationary pressures and market shortfalls across the United States and around the globe now as pandemic-induced lunacy has prevented economic activity from returning to normal levels and is greatly impacting the supply chain across the board. Worldwide supply shortages have led to price increases for raw materials in recent months, boosting production costs for many businesses. Due to the depth and breadth of supply chain disruptions, economists expect consumer prices to continue to rise for some time. The supply disruptions caused by global pandemic-related economic lockdowns stand out for their severity and for the global spread, according to a recent report for the Institute of International Finance. Supplier delivery delays in the United States and Germany are as severe as Japan experienced in 2011 in the wake of the Fukushima nuclear disaster. Well, folks, I told you this in February, March, April, May, June of 2020. This was going to be the outcome. This is what's going to happen. Absolutely. And political authorities simply refuse to listen to reason. 
and we have been dealing with this shortfall across the board. It's been episodic, but now it's picking up steam and you see the knock-on effect. If you miss 10 days of production of a component for a product that's assembled, you not only lose those 10 days, but you have an impact on the entire supply chain that ripples and grows in length as other products cannot be assembled and finished and shipped to destination. This is a major problem. That's how integrated the global economy is. It's not isolated like it once was 50 or 100 years ago. The U.S. will restrict economic aid to Ethiopia over the Tigray War. U.S. imposed what it called wide-ranging, with that's a farce, economic sanctions against Ethiopia to push the African nation led by Nobel laureate to end the violence in Tigray that has killed thousands of people and displaced hundreds of thousands more. Visas to government and military officials from Ethiopia and its neighbor Eritrea will be restricted. <gasps> oh, what a horrible sanction. The action sets back relations between the two longtime allies and the fight against Islamic extremists in the Horn of Africa. Not really. The Ethiopians are very difficult partners when it comes to that conflict and have been uncooperative more than they've been cooperative in the past. U.S. sanctions will mainly affect financing to support Ethiopia's budget will include a request that the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund withhold funding. People familiar with the matter said this Saturday. Ethiopia is the biggest recipient in Africa of U.S. foreign aid, receiving about a billion dollars a year. That's not entirely accurate, but it's pretty close to the truth. U.S. is deepening concerns about the ongoing crisis in Ethiopia's Tigray region, Blinken said in a statement, that's the Secretary of State. Despite significant diplomatic engagement, the parties to the conflict in Tigray have taken no meaningful steps to end the hostilities or pursue a peaceful resolution of a political crisis. So the U.S. finally steps up to the plate to take action under the Manchurian cadaver against these folks. It's a long overdue, ladies and gentlemen, long overdue. There you have it, today's news and headlines from Adaba Africa News of the Day. Thank you for your support and your patronage. We appreciate you coming here. We appreciate that your time is valuable, and we're happy that you spent it with us. Thank you so much. God bless. Have a pleasant day and a good, productive week ahead. Today, the 24th of May, 2021. Take care, folks.